Well, hello everybody. Hopefully you're doing great wherever you are today and wherever you're watching from. Happy summer. Yes, it snuck up on us a little bit, especially with quarantine and social distancing. Here we are in official summer and we are really excited about the summer months here at Praxis. I just believe even though we're not going to be in the same room together, like we haven't been for a number of months now, that God's still going to do something deep and rich and unique within us over these days and over these times. And here we are online together. And I'm just so thrilled that you're joining in with us for our brand new summer campaign and series called Faith for Exiles. This is something we've been gearing up for for a little while now and uh, maybe you got a book if you're part of the Praxis family. Hopefully you got a book on your doorstep or maybe in the mail and if you haven't received a book for some reason, it was kind of an operation trying to get everybody sorted, just reach out to us. We'd love to gift this book to you as kind of the driver for our series over the next and teachings over the next number of weeks. We've never really done this. We've never taken like a book per se and unpacked it, but I've just felt when I engaged some of the ideas in this book a little while ago that this was for us and for our moment and time. And to be honest, and I'll share more about this over the next couple weeks, we actually had prepared to do this teaching series and walk through Faith for Exiles before COVID. And COVID kind of just adds another layer to this whole thing. And so we're gonna talk the next number of weeks about what it means to be a resilient disciple, a resilient follower of Jesus in our moment. And not just in our moment, specifically we're gonna talk about Canada. Uh, if you started the book or you've started reading, you'll know that this book is actually published by the Barna Group and uh, has a number of stats within it that is really just based around research around millennials. Those that uh, I think most of the study was done around 18 to 29 year olds and just getting feedback from them on their spirituality. And this is specifically uh, on kids and people who have grown up in the church. Now, I just want to say this is for everybody. This is not just a series for those that are 18 to 29, or I think millennials are technically 18 to 30 or whatever. Uh, I think I just make it. I'm 37. I think I just make it. It's in some definition, I think I just make it as a millennial. But um, well, I know a lot of the research is in that age group. But my hope and our hope is through this is that as we pick it up, that these would be things for all of us. Yes, the research pins, pinpoints us younger people for a lot of the research, but I just pray that we could, we could take it. And for whatever age and stage you're at, if you're a parent, especially thinking about your own life and discipleship to Jesus and your kids, if you're a grandparent, uh, I think even just as uh, relatable and just as I think prominent in this moment to be thinking through about the next genera generation. So my hope is, is that we could think through our own lives and then also think through, uh, you know, the people in our influence. I think of myself as a parent and all that's going on. So hopefully you've started to engage. If you haven't, that's okay. We know not everybody's a reader, totally get it. But the goal is, is to unpack much of this research and the five principles of what resilient disciples are doing uh, over the next number of weeks. I also, and I don't know if you know this, I also want to let you know that we we are engaging in a midweek podcast as well. And this is going to be really great. We thought one of the things we wanted to do was engage this at a deeper level. And so every week over the next 
I don't know, nine weeks or so throughout the summer, we are going to be dropping for you a midweek podcast with some friends that get together, both in audio format and video format, called The After Show. And this is, I think, going to be a great time where people, some people in our community get together and really just wrestle through these ideas. So we'll have Sunday's teaching and then midweek on Thursdays, we're we're going to release The After Show. And we wanted to give you a snippet and give you a little introduction to The After Show. So check this out. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the very first Epi. Can we call it Epi? I think we're going to call it Epi because we're Canadian. I like But I got to say this, Kev, I got to say this. We were podcasting. I don't know if you remember this. So Kev and I have known each other forever. We were podcasting before podcasting was ever a thing or even cool. Do you remember this? Oh, yeah. EMG fan show. Oh, my goodness. You know. (laughs) Well, Well, I love that you already have your ad spot filled up in like the first 10 minutes of <laughs> <laughs> we live near the thames too we live near the thames yeah, and that's very uh, true i would i always tell my kids so i i always tell my kids uh, like you can't go in there because you'll come out with like an extra arm or an extra leg or eye. yeah but that came up with levi this week um he brought it up as we like we were at spring bank or whatever and he brought it up like hey he was telling somebody else if you go in there you're gonna come out with an extra limb or whatever so <laughs> i'm so excited to so excited to meet you guys. I feel like I haven't really chatted with you before. I know. Yeah. This is a weird Same. way to do it, but <laughs> <laughs> so nice to meet you. So you guys don't so know nice each other that well. I've, I always forget. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Amazing. This yeah. is great. Yeah. Do you like, do you guys just want to talk and we'll just like listen it? No, I'm just joking. I know. Yeah. This is seriously this fun. I do want to know about your houseplant. I love your houseplant behind you, by the way. I'm so into houseplants these days. I'd love to know what that one is. It is my pride and joy. Oh, she is. And it's getting beautiful. It's going to get weekly camera time. So there you go. Brilliant. There you go. Yeah, I'll give you updates. We'll measure it every week. Yes, we, that's, that'll, can we make that a segment? I think we need, we got a sponsor and a segment already. Yeah, I didn't, um, when we bought a teeny tiny house a year ago, I didn't think we would be stuck in it 24 seven. <laughs> real small. I think the Babylon aspect is our reliance on, on technology. Like I was just, I'm thinking even back just a couple of weeks ago, we were, we've been doing some stuff around the outside of our house and we ended up cutting our, our, our internet cable outside, not even knowing. I it. heard this. And, and we, and we were, we were so like freaked out without, you know, like it was, I called, I, I called and, and a tech savvy was like, you know, it's going to be about 24 to 48 hours for somebody. And I was like, no, that's not acceptable. Where, you know, like how ridiculous is that to be like, okay, so all I have to do is not watch Netflix tonight, you know, like, but I was so much like, no, we there's a show we want to watch and we're going to, we want to watch it now. Right. It, So we're gonna have a lot of fun over the next little while, just engaging and wrestling through these ideas. And I hope if you're in a podcast at all, that you'll watch or listen throughout the summer as uh, we kind of dissect some of these ideas together and just have fun. It's gonna be really relaxed and just uh, a great time together, kind of hanging out, almost like a virtual small group that you can watch where we just banter a bit about some of these ideas. With that said though, why don't you open up with me right now to Jeremiah chapter 29. That's where we're gonna start in our introduction. The hope is, is that over the next couple of weeks, we're going to lay the foundation before we get into the five ways to follow Jesus in digital Babylon. So let's lay the foundation a bit and let's start in Jeremiah 29. Now, before we read Jeremiah chapter 29, 
There is an important story in Israel's history. It's actually a not, not a good one. It's a negative one that we quickly need to look at and a, a particular year that we need to talk about in Israel's story for this whole thing to kind of make sense. The year is 589 BC. In 589 BC, this corrupt and brutal empire known as Babylon and their king known as Nebuchadnezzar came into the city of Jerusalem, which was the epicenter of Jewish culture and life, and they destroyed the entire city, including its place of worship, the Holy Temple, where people would come to worship. And it's thought probably in this whole process that upwards of 90% of Jerusalem and the Jewish people were killed. The other 10%, the 10% that kind of remained, were typically the brightest and most educated in Jewish communities. So this is what Babylon did. They kind of plucked out those who were bright and educated in that society. And those people were actually dragged outside of the city of Jerusalem to a place called Babylon. The story actually goes is that outside the city of Babylon, the Hebrew people that were left were basically on the Kabar Canal outside the city deciding what they were going to do. Were they going to go into Babylon and kind of be brainwashed by their culture or were they going to stay on the outside? And this was actually really a prophecy that was fulfilled in some ways. God was continually speaking to Israel that if they did not turn their hearts towards him, that there would be a day of exile. And here it is. Now, we're going to read this text, and it's just interesting in that context. Now what God asks Israel to do as they live in exile, as their whole culture, their whole framework, their identity markers as a people have been completely disoriented. And yet listen to what God actually says now of them in the whole process of how they're going to live even as the minority. This is Jeremiah chapter 29. Some of you know Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11 and you've put it on a bumper sticker maybe or you've seen it on a bumper sticker or you've used it on a bookmark. But it's crazy that this is actually a picture of exile. Listen to what God says to them. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is what God says. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encouraged them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. And so in the midst of all of this, in exile, totally disoriented, God calls this little minority to actually move into Babylon, to plant houses, to marry, and to flourish, and actually seek the welfare of Babylon so that these people would also, these God followers, would seek, as they seek the welfare of the city, they too would have God's blessing on their lives. Kind of upside down. I think there's a general narrative at times that, you know, Christians are supposed to, God followers are supposed to kind of retreat and get away. And yet, in one of the darkest times in Israel's history, they're actually called to move in and to love the people around them. And with this has come the motif, really, for the church of exile. 
So exile was like a legitimate thing for Israel in their moment and time and place and space. And yet exile actually became a motif for the first century church. It's interesting that even a guy like Peter, who is writing to small communities in the first century after Jesus' resurrection, used this word for Jesus followers. That the Jesus followers, this little small minority of people in the first century Greco-Roman world were called exiles. Peter uses this word over them. Their mental dashboards would have lit up knowing that as Peter called them exiles, that they're to actually model what Israel was called to be as they also lived in exile. And so the first century church used this as a, as a motif in their time. And what's interesting and unique now is that we've actually now, in a post-Christian world or post-Christendom world, and what I mean by that is that we now live in a world where Christian values and kind of a Christian worldview is not as much at the center as it was in a Christendom world. I think of our own country of Canada. Things have changed over the last 50 or 60 years. Now, please hear me. I don't, I'm not saying Canada was ever a Christian nation, but it is certainly true that kind of Judeo-Christian, wor that worldview and those kind of ideas and lived principles were more at the center of our society 50 or 60 years ago than what they are today. And so one of the things we've taken now that we're more of a minority, and by the way, we are a minority. We're going to talk lots about this over the next bunch of weeks. And I'll also say this. I always say that the church is more like punk rock than it is Beyonce, right? We're these people that are kind of on the margins and on the fringe. We are not mainstream anymore. One of the motifs we've kind of taken for our moment is this idea of exile. We are exiles in a strange and foreign land. My friend, uh, Lee Beach at McMaster University, uh, McMaster Divinity College, a great guy, one of my professors, he wrote a great book on exile and he says this, exile implies much more than simple geographical dislocation. It can be a cultural and a spiritual condition as well. It is the experience of knowing that one is an alien and perhaps even in a hostile environment where the dominant values run counter to one's own. Anybody feeling that? All right. This sense of exile is experienced by anyone who feels alienated, cast adrift, or marginalized by their inability or unwillingness to conform to the tyranny of majority opinion. So one of the things we've actually seen in the Canadian context over the last number of years, and we've talked lots about this at Praxis, is the rise of the nuns and the duns. The nuns, we're not talking Catholic nuns, we're talking people who have no religious affiliation, nothing to identify with as far as spirituality or religion. And the duns, those who maybe grew up in the church but have now walked away from regular gathering with the church. Um, we're in an interesting moment, and this idea of exile is a great motif for us in our moment. The authors of Faith in Exile, they say this, Today, nearly two-thirds of all young adults who were once regular churchgoers have dropped out at one time or another. They also go on and say, Our contention is that today's society is especially and insidiously faith-repellent. Certainly God's people have weathered hostile seasons in the past. Church history reminds us that living faithfully has never been easy. But our research shows that resilient faith is tougher to grow today using the cultivation methods we relied on throughout the 20th century. So you have the motif of exile, which is really important. I think a really important way to think in our moment that the church is in exile. But then you also have Babylon. 
Not only was Babylon, I mean, in the story that we just looked at in Jeremiah 29, obviously Babylon was a city. The Israelites that were left were taken and dragged out to the city of Babylon. And not only in the scripture was it an empire, but Babylon was also, I think, from the very beginning of scripture, an archetype of the kingdom that was against God and his city. The authors, again, in Faith for Exiles, they say ancient Babylon was the pagan-built, spiritual, hyper-stimulated, multicultural, imperial crossroads that became the unwilling home of Judean exiles, including the prophet Daniel in the 6th century BC. So Babylon is a legit city, an empire, and I would even say it's an archetype in the scriptures that comes against the living God. And throughout history, God followers have found themselves in exile in the empire. Now, this leads us to talk about, I think, something that's really important, and the authors get into this, about digital Babylon. One of the ideas around what we're going to talk about over the next number of weeks is digital Babylon. And this is what I actually want to wrestle through and talk through today. Digital Babylon. So the empire of Babylon has always come against God's people. And yet we live in this very really interesting moment. And the authors describe this moment that we're living in as digital Babylon. Listen to what they say. They continue and they say this, but digital Babylon is not a physical place. It is the pagan but spiritual, hyper-stimulated, multicultural, imperial crossroads that is the virtual home of every person with Wi-Fi. Anybody out there? Anybody with Wi-Fi, a data plan, or for most of us, probably all of us, both. And there's this tension right now. I don't know if you've engaged the book much, but in the introduction chapter, there's this tension between Jerusalem and Babylon. And in particular, Jerusalem is kind of a picture of God's city and the rule and reign of God compared to Babylon. This is the difference. This is what the chart says. Jerusalem is monoreligious, where Babylon is pluralistic. Think of digital Babylon and the pluralism. Jerusalem is slower paced, but Babylon is accelerated and frenetic. Jerusalem is homogeneous, but Babylon is diverse. Jerusalem is under central control, but Babylon is open source. Jerusalem is sweet and simple, but Babylon is complex and bittersweet. The idols of Jerusalem can be religious pride, but the idols of Babylon is fitting in and not missing out. And so we live in a day and age, and you know this, with screens and flickering pixels and everything we can think of in the digital world coming our way. I mean, COVID has exposed this on every level, just the amount of screen time and immediate access to information that we have now. We are living in digital Babylon. They go on to say, in digital Babylon, where information and anything we could ever want or need is instantly available at the godlike swipe of a finger. Almighty God has been squeezed to the margins. Those of us who long to keep him at the center of our lives constantly fight the centrifugal force of a world spinning us away from him. And isn't it true? All the forces around us when it comes to the digital world are sucking away our attention. So there is no doubt that we are disciples in this moment of our screens, of technology. And this is kind of a force working in our lives, and you may not even realize it. One of the things the authors do in this introduction is show a chart just highlighting, and it's like right in front of us, how much screen media people use. There's a little chart here that a typical 15 through 23-year-old 
in screen media is on their screens 2,767 hours per year, according to their research. And the counter to this is spiritual content, which is, for a typical 15 to 23-year-old, 291 hours a year. The diversion we're experiencing towards screens is just led to the reality that we are all residents of digital Babylon. Whether you want to admit it or receive it or believe it or not, we are in exile. And probably right now, it's, this kind of exile is different than what we've ever experienced before. We are exiles of digital Babylon. Babylon, exile were real, not just figurative things for Israel. They were real things that they were experiencing. But as a motif, I think we look to the stories of God's people and realize and discern the, the moment that we're in right now. And this is why the next number of weeks are so important. Now, this shouldn't leave us hopeless, though. I think one of the things, as we look through some of the data and some of the research that these guys have done and through Barna and some of the extensive, not only extensive, but credible research that's been done, I think we can take away some hopeful things. Now, at the heart of David Kinnaman and Mark Matlock's book is research, as I've said, on those age 18 to 29. This was the focus group with their research through the Barna group. And one of the things that they did is they surveyed a number of people within this age range, not just in Canada and the United States, but across the world, looking and surveying people in trying to discern and understand where they are at with faith and spirituality and following Jesus in their moment. All of these people that were surveyed grew up in the church to give us a framework of these people actually being Christians when they were growing up as a response to where they are right now. And one of the things that is really central, and we're going to talk about this almost every week, one of the things that's central to their research is that they began to discern through the responses back to them that there are four kinds of exiles that emerge in our day today four kinds of exiles. So they took all the data and basically grouped everybody who responded into one of four groups. What I want to do today is just lay the foundation and get you to see some of the research from this, and then we'll begin in weeks to come to develop more around what resilient disciples looks like. Looks like. So four different groups. The first group, and remember, these are all people that grew up in the church, all right? These are all people that uh, growing up in the church and had some sort of faith growing up in childhood and adolescence. The first group is prodigals. Prodigals, you can just think of it like this. It's pretty simple. They're ex-Christians. They were once a part of a church or they maybe grew up in a Christian family, but these individuals do not currently identify as Christian despite having attended a Protestant or Catholic church or having considered themselves Christians as a child or teen. Prodigals, very, I think, kind of simple and easy for us to understand this particular group. The second group of exiles is called nomads. And I think the simplest way to think of nomads are those that are unchurched. So these are people who identify as Christian, but have not attended church during the last month. And these people haven't been involved within a church for six months or more. Unchurched, I think the best way to maybe articulate the nomads are people who believe and have a fundamental belief in God, whatever that means, but don't belong. Those who believe, but don't belong. The third group of exiles that emerges is what the authors call habitual churchgoers. And I think the name kind of explains itself. These are people who describe themselves as Christians and have attended church at least in the last month or so, 
but do not meet foundational core beliefs or behaviors associated with being an intentional engaged disciple. And so they may go to church once in a while, but when they describe their lives, especially in the research, it doesn't sync up with the way of Jesus, habitual churchgoers. And then there's a fourth group. And the fourth group that the authors and the Barna group talk about are called resilient disciples. These are authentic Jesus followers who, one, attend church regularly, at least monthly, and engage with their church more than just attending worship services. So they're involved in the life of the church, both on the Sunday gatherings, whether if that's Sunday or uh, throughout the week. Two, they trust firmly in the authority of the Bible. Three, these are people who are committed to Jesus personally and affirm that he was crucified and raised from the dead to conquer sin and death, which is a massive part of the story. And four, these are people who express a desire to transform the broader society as an outcome of their faith. So four groups, four groups. You have the prodigals, you have nomads, you have habitual churchgoers, and you have resilient disciples. Now next week we'll talk in depth more across the world how these numbers kind of play. But for our country in Canada, it's a little different than what's in the book because in the book, it's actually obviously an American book because most of our content comes from America. But in Canada, prodigals are 22% of the group of the people that were surveyed in Canada. Nomads are 47%. So think again of people who believe but don't belong to a community. That's 47% of people who grew up in the church. That's kind of the, the group that they're in now, the exile group, the nomads. Habitual churchgoers in Canada are 22%. So again, this is people that go to church once in a while but don't necessarily live out the way of Jesus. And resilient disciples in our context is 9%. 9% in Canada who responded to the surveys and to the research who express a desire to follow Jesus with heart, soul, mind, and strength and embody what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so this is what we're going to look at over the next bunch of weeks. Again, we're going to look at the Canadian context and what does this mean for us and abroad as well as some of the research comes through through the pages of this book. And I think it's just important to have an ear. Whoever has ears, let him hear. This is what Jesus says. And I think we just need to be realistic with the moment we're in. We'll also take time to talk about COVID and how this changes and shapes things and talk about the future a little bit because when we first started thinking about Faith for Exiles, COVID wasn't even a thing to us and now the world has drastically changed and we'll talk more about that. But the thing that we're going to drill down on, especially over the next bunch of weeks, as we look at resilient disciples, because I don't know about you, this is the group that I want to be in. I want to be in this group that are resilient followers of Jesus. But at the heart of the research was not only these four different groups of exiles, but was also a focus on what are the practices of resilient disciples. So if in Canada, 9% are true, authentic, real, giving their lives for Jesus and his kingdom, what they've discovered is there's actually things that those types of people are practicing in their everyday lives. The authors go on and they say this, cultivating faith for exiles means by contrast that we, young and old alike, trust that Jesus is Lord even in the chaotic, perplexed, no rules digital Babylon. 
So it may be chaos around us, but we are these people that cultivate faith. They say a Christian identity and a rarely engaged church community are not enough to make someone resistant to the Babylon virus. And we're in COVID, so we're talking about viruses. They say this, they have never been resistant. In Digital Babylon, faithful, resilient disciples are handcrafted one at a time in their apprenticeship to Jesus. They say, we propose that the goal of discipleship today is to develop Jesus followers who are resiliently faithful in the face of cultural coercion and who live a vibrant life in the Spirit. And that's my prayer, man. This is why we're doing this. This is my prayer and this is our prayer for our community. That in the changing world that we live in, where we are at the margins, and now we're living in the ever-changing day of the digital world and a global pandemic. We want to see people be resilient in their allegiance to Jesus and following him. So there's five things that the authors say that resilient people practice, and this is what we're going to look at over the next bunch of weeks. One, to form a resilient identity, experience intimacy with Jesus. Practice two is, in a complex and anxious age, to develop the muscles of cultural discernment. And let me just pause and say that I kind of feel like this has been lost over the generations of the church. Cultural discernment has not been a thing anymore. You know, a lot of people just want to follow Jesus and try and kind of get into an enclave of a church and kind of get apart from the world. And yet cultural discernment has always been something Jesus followers practice. Practice three is when isolation and mistrust are the norms, and this is the world we live in, mistrust, people who are resilient forge meaningful intergenerational relationships. So in a few weeks, we'll take time to talk about how important it is for us to build quality, deep, beautiful relationships with other Jesus followers as part of our practice in becoming resilient. Practice four is to ground and motivate an ambitious generation and train them for vocational discipleship. So over this talk, we'll talk about how vocation and our jobs and our daily lives actually matter that we resist the notion that somehow church stuff is spiritual, but what we do every second of every day out in the world is not, we're going to obliterate that because one of the practices that even the data has shown is that those that are most fulfilled in their walk with King Jesus are the ones that are living out their vocation and living out the gospel in their work. And then practice five are those that curb entitlement and self-centered tendencies, which we all have, and they do this by engaging in countercultural mission. And so this is the journey we're going on. Four groups of exiles. I don't know where you land in that, but ultimately we want to call everybody to be resilient disciples and to practice these five things. Obviously, practice is a big part of who we are at Praxis. For years now, we've talked about practicing the way of Jesus together. But my prayer is that we would grab on to these five particular things and begin to live them out. Because the world we're entering into, especially post-COVID, we don't know what that world looks like. But I believe, and I think the data shows and the research shows, these are the things that form and shape and mold resilient disciples. My hope is that you just come on this journey with us. Please come along, come along for the ride and journey along with us. Now, at the end of these uh, teachings and these times together on Sundays, what we're going to do is we're just going to leave actually room for questions. So in a second, I'm going to pray and close our time and prayer together today. But questions are going to come up. And wherever you are, you can 
watch and look at those questions. I know many of our communities are, are, that are meeting on Zoom may wanna wrestle through this material together. And so you can use these questions as well. Maybe you wanna pause it and just reflect with whoever you're watching with today, maybe at home with your family or whatever, and begin to engage in some of these questions as we wrestle through again, what it means to be resilient. So those are gonna come up in a minute, but let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for today. Thank you that your kingdom is coming to earth as it is in heaven. Nothing will stop that. And God, in the changing times, maybe for some of us this is convicting because we look at those four different groups of people who grew up in the church and we know that maybe the category that we would be in right now is not resilient. God, help us. Fill us with your spirit. Draw us closer to you to live this out. Give us faith, allegiance, hope to follow you. Help us to be resilient in this moment and in these changing days. May that be praxis. I just pray amongst all that we're seeing in our moment that we would follow you with everything. I pray these things in your name, King Jesus. You're good. Amen. Amen. Hopefully you can join us next week, but let's, uh, let's take the week to wrestle through where God's leading us. We'll see you then.